permission to date my daughter. Have you seen it? Someone handed this to me the other day. I've seen it a long time ago, but it was funny to see it again. This application for permission to date my daughter. It reads, note, this application will be considered incomplete and will be rejected unless accompanied by a complete financial statement, job history, lineage, and current medical report from your doctor. Then it begins with a series of questions and data. Beginning with name, date of birth. If you want to date my daughter, name, date of birth, height, weight, IQ, GPA, social security number, driver's license number, and Boy Scout rank. (laughs) Not to mention home address, city, state, zip, and then the question, do you have one male and one female parent? (laughs) You know, not one male and one male, or so forth. And then it asks, do you own a van, truck with oversized tires, waterbed? Do you have an earring, nose ring, or belly button ring, or tattoo? If yes, to any of these on number eight, discontinue application and leave premises. In 50 words or less, what does late mean to you? In 50 words or less, what does don't touch my daughter mean to you? (laughs) Church you attend. Frequency. What would be the best time to interview your father, mother, and pastor? Fill in the blanks on these following answers. Freely, answers are confidential. This means I won't tell anyone ever I promise here it goes if I were shot the last place on my body I would want to be wounded is if I were beaten the last bone I'd want to be broken is a woman's place is and these are all fill in the blank the one thing I would hope this application does not ask me about is fill in the blank what do you number 15 what do you want to be if you grow up And then at the bottom, I swear that all information supplied above is correct and true to the best of my knowledge under penalty of death. (laughs) And then it says at the bottom, signature with parentheses, this means you, moron. Thank you for your interest. Please allow four to six years for processing. (laughs) This is going to be my dating application for my four daughters right there. Why? Because there are stories like this in the Bible. Genesis chapter 26. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say she is my wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, my wife, because she was attractive in appearance. And when there had been a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing, and that's the word nicely translated, laughing with Rebekah, his wife. I like how the original King James puts it, sporting with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. (laughs) And so then Abimelech gives her back with all kinds of riches. We're not sure if Abimelech even had a relationship with her or not. Abimelech, this king that was ruling in the province next to what we now call the promised land or Canaan. So let's look at the story. (laughs) The men of Abimelech, let's call him Abby. 
um, inquired of his wife and Isaac said, she's my sister. And he told her, say you're my sister. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's exactly what his old man, his father, our hero, Abraham did not once, but twice with his wife, Sarah. So Isaac is taking a a page out of Abraham's notebook, his playbook. And in the story of Isaac and his wife, where he says, just tell the king or whoever's interested, you're my sister in this area that we're living in. Just before that, God said, I will be with you to Isaac. (laughs) And the next moment he's this scared. I think God put stories like this in the Bible to encourage and to entertain, (laughs) but to encourage people like us because he stayed with Isaac and his wife, Sarah, that would be Abraham and his wife, Sarah and Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, and saw them through, even though the men were acting like dorks in those occasions. I mean, the king, Abby, saw that Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, were, well, it wasn't very brotherly, let's just say, and said, why did you say she's my sister? And God doesn't say to Isaac at that time, you messed up too many times. Your marriage is kaput. No. God stayed faithful to Isaac, even though he was not acting very chivalrous at the moment. I'm so thankful for that story. Not because only it's entertainment value, but also because it speaks to me, even when I am less than perfect as a husband. And if I think I'm perfect, just all I need to do is talk to my wife and I will find out quickly enough I need God's mercy and his grace, just like Isaac did in our story. And the king, Abby, Abimelech, says to Isaac, what have you done? We could have all died. I mean, even the world knew better than to do what Isaac had just pulled off. But then, guess. Here, let me read you in the next verse after that story. Okay? Verse 12. It says, after this, Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall be put to death. Next verse. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. <laughs> Grace. It says then, and it emphasizes that in the same land, in the same year, Isaac reaped a hundredfold. God should have taught him a lesson when he failed, but instead, when he failed, all of a sudden, God pours out his grace because at that moment, Isaac realized it's not about my goodness. It's about God's goodness. I did the very same thing my dad did. I'm no better than my father, but I remember my father teaching me it was in this time in his life, when he blew it so badly as a husband, not once, but twice, that favor came upon our family. The Lord blessed Isaac because he deserved it. No, he blessed him when Isaac least deserved it. That's why it's called grace. That we are weak So very weak But you are strong And though we've nothing, Lord To lay at your feet 
We come to your feet and say, help us alone. And it's our confession, Lord, that we are weak, so very weak, but you are strong. Nothing more to lay at your feet. We come to your feet and say, Help us alone. Dumb, broken heart and a contract spirit. You have yet to deny. With a love strong career Let the river flow God by your spirit now Lord we cry Let your mercies fall from heaven Sweet mercies flow from heaven New mercies for today Shower them down Lord as we pray Let your mercies fall from heaven Sweet mercies flow from heaven Shower them down low as we pray mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's our confession, Lord, that we are weak We're so very weak But you are strong
would show, would reveal and write about his pain and his suffering in order to show that his trouble was not due to sin, but rather it was for the comfort of the other Christians and saints. He writes in, in 1 Corinthians, he writes in 2 Corinthians of his difficulties, of his troubles, of his heartaches, right? You know the scriptures in those books where Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He, he, he writes there in 2 Corinthians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are any, in any affliction. He even says, you are aware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia where we were burdened beyond our strength and despaired of life itself. We wanted to die, he says. And so in this letter to the Christians, Paul says, I'm suffering. Now, the reason why he does this is because there were those who were saying Paul is suffering because he is a fraud. And so Paul comes right out in the letter and says, I'm suffering because I'm a genuine apostle. You know, I think in some of our teachings, preachings, sermons, books today in Christianity here in the West, here in the United States, in our culture, people would also, if they lived back then, accuse Paul of being a fraud, of lacking faith because he was suffering. So he has to write an entire book, let's say 2 Corinthians, just to say, I'm afflicted. I wanted to die. And God has comforted me and seen me through. He's showing Paul is that his trouble is not due to sin. But his trouble is for the comfort of others. I've been through what you've been through. And even while there are those who are attacking me and accusing me, God is comforting me. I, I need to hear these words from Paul. Don't, don't you? Have you ever gone through a, a tough day, difficult week, a hard time? And there might even be in the back of your mind or someone else's words, it's because you're being punished but I need to hear the words of Paul when he says, so we do not lose heart though. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. I need to hear that. So do you. That's why we have this letter of second Corinthians. I need to be reminded, even as Paul says, hey, I have been through great endurance of difficulty in riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, beatings, calamities, hardships, in affliction. This is what he says. I'm quoting him right now. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Look at that. Yeah, I'm going through this and I'm also receiving that. 
genuine love through the Holy Spirit. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet rejoicing always, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Our heart is wide open to you. So he's saying, yeah, we've gone through everything that you've heard, but it's not because of sin. It's because God wants us to be those who can relate to you and comfort you. Do you need to hear that? We'll be right back. Healing rain is coming down, is coming nearer to this old town. The rich and poor, the weak and strong, it's bringing mercy.
Let it be, Lord. Let your healing reign. Let let your saving grace, let your Holy Spirit fall down upon us on this beautiful April morning. Thank you, Lord. You know, there in Capernaum, those four guys lowered their friend, the dude who was paralyzed through the roof into the house where Jesus was. You know, because it was so packed, they couldn't get in. They had to get through the roof, whatever it was made of, thatch or what have you, and remove that. And they lower him down. And the first thing Jesus said to him there in the gospel of Mark, the first thing Jesus said to that guy who was laying on that mat, who had been lowered down into the house, was your sins are forgiven. Wait, wait a minute. That, but that they must have thought this guy needs healing. We didn't go to all this effort to him simply hear him. The Lord say that his sins are forgiven, but that's the first thing Jesus said to that guy who was lowered into the house, who is paralyzed. Your sins are forgiven. Then he said, now, rise, take up your bed and walk. For that guy to get up on his feet, he needed the assurance that his sins were forgiven and he was not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what keeps us going. That's what gives us the right to take the next step. There is no condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1. You know, there in Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation to those in Jesus Christ. That's the doorway, Romans 8 verse 1, to the rest of the chapter, one of the most beautiful, prolific chapters on grace in all of the New Testament, on God's grace, on Jesus Christ in Romans 8, verse 1. In Romans 8, the chapter, 18 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. It speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit, the life of victory in the Holy Spirit, how we experience the Holy Spirit. And 18 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Romans chapter 8, but it begins with, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. You will only experience the reality and the power of the rest of the chapter when you realize there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and verse 1 is so much better. It's so much smarter than any therapist or psychologist could ever be when you really read it and you believe it. I love that. I love that. 18 times the Holy Spirit is spoken of, but the chapter begins. There is no condemnation. You see, condemnation is the deepest root of anything, it seems, when it comes to the devil's work in our hearts and our lives. He uses it. And most of the time it goes on undetected, I think. We label it as fear or stress, but underneath it, that fear, that stress can come from condemnation. For example, you think, why don't my kids talk to me more? And it stresses you out, right? Or causes you to think or worry. And underneath it, there's condemnation. Or why doesn't my hubby help around the house more? 
And underneath that, you're condemning him. See, condemnation is the deepest root. The devil uses it. And he hasn't changed his tactic since the Garden of Eden. He has no other weapon. But there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Jesus removes the very deep root of condemnation. I mean, check out Peter. He was so free from condemnation on the day of Pentecost. He preaches to the group, to the people. He says to them, you denied the Holy One. What? Peter says that. Peter, um, let me think here. Um, Peter, you denied the Holy One. And yet he's preaching to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. You denied the Holy One. When in fact, more than any of them, it was Peter who expressly denied the Holy One three times. Now he's preaching. You denied the Holy One to the people of Jerusalem. Now that is being free from his past. <laughs> that is being free from condemnation to be able to say to them, you denied the Holy One with power, with, with presence of mind, with integrity and feeling as he was. You would think he would be too embarrassed, too ashamed. He didn't want to be a preacher who was beyond or not living out what he was preaching. But Peter, knowing he had denied the Lord three times, says on the day of Pentecost, some 50 days later, you denied the Holy One and 3,000 people repented and were saved. See, the devil wants Peter to focus on his failure. Jesus frees Peter from his failure. The devil wants me to focus on my failure and you to focus on your failure as a human, as a parent, as a child, as a Christian, as an employer, an employee, he's always going to bring that back. And what you need to say is, I'm forgiven, so now I can preach the same message to other people as I myself have received. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me hear you make some Holy Ghost crazy noise right now. Let me hear. Come on! 
All right, go Kirk Franklin. For us, uh, less than, uh, let's say, less than radical, less than frantic Christians here in the Rogue Valley. Can I put it that way? Thank you, Kirk Franklin. And you might be agreeing with me. You might not be in agree with me. That's okay. We're moving on. <laughs> I want to talk to you about Benjamin and Joseph, two brothers, right? They were the two full brothers. I mean, they were fully brothers, Benjamin and Joseph. The other brothers they had, the sons of Jacob, right? They were half brothers of Benjamin and Joseph because they had the same dad, different moms, And it's kind of a very complicated, crazy whole scenario. You remember where Jacob sleeps with his wife, sleeps with his other wife, sleeps with his wife's servant, sleeps with his other wife's servant, and has all these kids. <laughs> and so it was of Rachel that Benjamin and Joseph were born. And so they were the only two born of Joseph. I should say, sorry, of Jacob and Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Now I want to mention that in that story of Benjamin and Joseph, we see Jesus, the Christ also One who, like Joseph, was persecuted. One who, like Benjamin, is favored. See, remember when all the brothers come down into Egypt to beg? And this time, they bring Benjamin, their brother, there in the Genesis story in order to beg for the second time for food. And it's because Joseph said, next time you come, you better bring Benjamin. And so they do. And Benjamin comes down there and it says that Benjamin moved Joseph's heart like no other brother. Joseph's first words to Benjamin was, God be gracious to you. And he gave Benjamin five times the clothing and the portion of food of Benjamin's brothers. He poured it on. Because you see, in Joseph we have our Savior as a man who was humbled, persecuted, crucified, who died and then rose again, seemingly from out of nowhere, like Joseph did. And in Benjamin, we don't simply have a man that is like you and I. We have Someone who is favored, Jesus, the Son of God, who has five times the clothing and the food of the others. That means he is five times worthy, more worthy, to say the least five times the number of grace. Five times worthy of our praise, our song, our anthem. He is the son of my right hand, says God the Father. He is righteousness. He is our intercessor. We see Jesus both in Benjamin and Joseph. Joseph in his suffering and resurrection. Benjamin in his monarchy, in his deity, in his glory. Praise be to Jesus, the son of God who is with us both when we're on and in trouble like Joseph and also when we need to be blessed like Benjamin.
this radio studio with me. He is here. As I am able to pray and praise and open his word, in your car, he is with you now. In your living room or as you're running on the treadmill, he is with you right now. Jesus says, And behold, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Thank you, Jesus. I believe it. We receive it, Lord. May we feel it even today. May it be on our minds, in our hearts. May we walk in a way that is worthy, Lord, that satisfies, that blesses your heart. May we obey your commandments. May we love one another. May you fill us with the Holy Spirit to live that out, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Come on out tonight. Seven o'clock. We will be gathered together to pray through the tabernacle. About an hour long. So it's a great time. You will not walk away feeling depressed. That is what I truly believe. Come on out. You will walk away feeling blessed. Thanks for tuning in. 7 o'clock tonight, I'll see you, or I'll be back on the air tomorrow, unless the rapture of the church happens before. No problem there. That would be great. God bless.